Well, we uh, just jump right into this. Last week we were um, talking about what happened to uh, Paul there in Athens, and uh, we saw these two points. Sinfulness in our world should stir or frustrate our, our spirits or urge us to do something. And again, we no doubt look around our world, and uh, man, there's just sinfulness abounding everywhere. And it is a, um, it, it's a, sometimes a tough pill to swallow what's going on in the world and, and feeling helpless. And uh, again, like what we can do, who are we? You know, we don't really have a whole lot to offer. You know, what are we going to be able to do? Um, but it should stir us to do something. And again, we talked about what that something was, and that was point number two, sharing the gospel. Is this something we should do? And we need to understand that while we do this in this sinful world, that it's going to be ridiculed and rejected by a lot of people. So it's not like, you know, we go out and, and say, I, mean, I, I just want to do something. I would love to see our nation change. I would love to see our world change. I would love to see, you know, my community change. And so if you're saying we're going to share the gospel, I want to do that. You go out and share the gospel and nobody really accepts it and, and gets saved. And you're like, well, it doesn't look like it's doing a whole lot. It doesn't look like it's changing anything. And uh, again, I, I pray you were motivated to share the gospel with someone. And I'll ask you, did you? Did you go out last week from Sunday's message? Don't answer. Don't raise your hand. Don't, you know, don't shake your head or, or nod your head or whatever. Uh, but just be challenged. You know, did, you, did you say, man, if you're in that place like I am, I wish, I wish things were different in our world. I wish things were different in our nation. Um, and we have the opportunity to do something, and that's share the gospel. Did you, did you share it with somebody? Did you hand a tract to somebody? Did you invite somebody to church? Did you have a conversation with somebody? Um, again, did you, did you do what we have been left here on this earth to do so that the world would be changed? And that, again, is sharing the gospel. Uh, be, be challenged. Now, again, we want the world to, to, to change. We want things to change, circumstances. And the only way that's going to happen is when hearts are changed. And um, I talked about it last week. You know, we, we, we face these different movements that come along. And, and one of the movements now, which when I, when I say this, don't take it the wrong way, uh, but, you know, this movement of end racism, and uh, which I think is, is great. I, I don't think there should be racism. But the reality is this. There has always been races. As long as there have been races, as long as there have been, well, there, first of all, let's, let's clarify this. Let's make this right. There is one race. There's a human race. And uh, there, we, we read it last week that there are different, uh, God set the, the boundaries of di different nations and, and, and uh, different peoples for a reason. And the Bible says so that everyone would glorify him. Um, and so, but the, the, the way that we look at things sometimes is from the wrong lens. We should be looking at it from a biblical lens. Um, God, God hates sin. Uh, that's why he came and died and, and took our place in that. And again, we, we say, well, I, I want things to be different. I want this element of our culture to be different. I want this element of our culture to be different. The only one that can change things is Jesus, because he he, he's the only one that can change hearts. And that's what the problem is, uh, is, is the hearts of man. Again, people point at different things. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to get all that stuff. But people say, well, this, if we would get rid of this, or if we would change that, or we do that. Look, the, the problem is the heart of man. <laughs> if the heart of man changes, that's when the world changes. But people got to hear the good news. And that's why we as the church are left here. And so if we ever want to see anything change, well, I would love to see this change. Well, then get busy about sharing the gospel. Get busy about handing tracts out and telling people about Jesus. I mean, we only have a short amount of time to do that. And that's the only thing that's going to actually change things. 
is Jesus Christ. And so again, it's our privilege. It's also our responsibility. And this is what we are privileged to do. We are, to, we are bearers of the good news, the glorious gospel that has the power to save lives. Again, just an amazing privilege. Our, our, our study brought us to that point. Um, it took us to Athens there. And that's where we learn those things. But I want to remind you of one of the things that we didn't like hone in on it and hammer on it a lot. But Paul preached what was called his, 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 his famous sermon on Mars Hill. And uh, I don't know how many of us would ever get the opportunity. I don't know if anybody ever uh, here has ever been over there and, and seen Mars Hill, but it's an, an actual place. But he preached this message, what was a, an amazing message, uh, to what the Athenians called the unknown God. And just a, an amazing thing. But Scripture told us in chapter 17, verse 34, that there, were, there was fruit that came out of that message, that, that some men and even a, a lady that it pointed out, specifically uh, a lady named Damaris, uh, which is interesting that sometimes God preserves those names for certain reasons. But anyways, he, he leaves uh, Athens and heads to Corinth. And I think this is a cool point in our study as well. Uh, because we've seen Paul go to some of the cities that we would eventually have epistles or letters from um, already. But he comes to, to Corinth, which most of you are familiar with. If you've been a Christian or been in this church for any amount of time, you're familiar with Corinthians. You know that we have two letters preserved in our canonized set of scriptures that we have. But there is believed to be a, a third letter that was written. However, he comes to this city, and we see what happens. I said 17, it's actually chapter 18. Uh, 17 is where we were finishing up. A 18 is where we are. In verse 1 it says, And after these things he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And the reason why they came to, uh, from Italy is this. Claudius, Caesar, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he came to them. And, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And so get the picture. Paul leaves Athens, goes, goes to Corinth, and he meets uh, Aquila and Priscilla, this husband and wife uh, couple that left Rome because uh, Claudius expelled all the Jews out of Rome. Uh, and so he meets them there in Corinth, and they stayed together because they were, they were tent makers by trade. Bible says in verse 4, he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, which remember they were left there, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now look at verse 6. Here we go again. But when they resisted and even blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. I'm innocent. I've done what I'm supposed to do. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, you've been along this study. If you've been here the, the, the entire time, you know, as we've got into the missionary journeys, this is exactly what Paul has done. He's always gone to the Jew first and then also the Gentile. He's gone into every city and he went to the synagogue. We've talked about that, how it was his practice. It was his habit, similar to what Jesus was. He went to the Jews first. He reasoned with the Jews. He preached the gospel to the Jews. And then he had the conversation. He, had the, he shared the message with the Gentiles. But here in Corinth, it seems like a little breaking point for the Apostle Paul. It seems like he, he gets to a point where he says, I'm done with this. I'm done going into the synagogue and trying to convince these stubborn, hard-hearted Jews of, of the truth. 
I'm done with it. I'm not going to do this anymore. From now on, what I'll do is I'll go to a city and I'll go to the Gentiles. I'm innocent. I've done what I, I, I could do. Verse 7, then he left there and he went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord, and, okay, so get, get the picture again, right? So Paul's done with that, but he also um, meets this, this uh, man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, who lived right next to the synagogue. And then he also has this impact on the leader of the synagogue, Crispus. He believed in the Lord with all his house as well. And then several of the Corinthians got saved, all right? So this is, this is what's happening. They got baptized. Things are happening even though Paul was frustrated. And then this, this happens, verse 9. The Lord said to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Verse 11. And so he settled there a year and six months, or a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. But while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. When Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourself. Take care of yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. So this is what happened. They all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. There's so many things that we could talk about. The hard-heartedness of Galileo, uh, the, just the, the reality of the, the government that, that was operating at the time, not doing anything, not, you know, all, we could go on and on and on and on. But what some important things I think we need to point out is this. Number one, we meet this couple, and uh, I'm sorry, Aquila and Priscilla. Amazing couple. We'll find a little bit more about uh, why they were amazing in just a little bit. But I want to note something very important. Notice God gives Paul, in the middle of seemingly a, a cool revival going on in Corinth, he's also frustrated. Um, he seems to say, when, when, when Silas and Timothy come down, the Bible says that he kind of gave himself to the Word of God. He began to just study and, and, and be in the Word of God. Um, so I, I don't know if you get a little bit of the picture of what's going on. It seems like Paul is either frustrated, worn out, weary, tired, um, there's some things going on with the Apostle Paul that are a little bit unique. Now, we've already seen him deal with the issue with John Mark, right? John Mark had uh, not been faithful, left the, the missionary team. Uh, he and, and, and Barnabas had that little uh, disagreement that caused them to depart ways. But for the most part, Paul has gone into the cities. We've seen him, this great example, priest of the Jews, priest of the Gentiles, been beat, been stoned, been, been thrown in prison persecuted, seen amazing things happen, go through all this stuff. But we come to Corinth, and, and it seems like he, he reaches a little bit of a breaking point. So much so that God himself comes to Paul in, in, in the nighttime and gives him a vision to comfort him. Gives him a vision not only to comfort him, but to encourage him. 
And again, I think there's a, a very clear reason why. While Paul was motivated by the love of Christ, we've talked about that recently, how could Paul just keep going? How could he keep going from one city to the next? And how could he go back to some cities that he knew his life would be in danger? How could he do that? We talked about motivated by the, the love of Christ. And while he's been seemingly resolute in his commitment to spread the gospel, the apostle Paul is still a man. He's still just a man. And being a man, he was subject to being tired. And he's subject to even having feelings that attempted to play against that commitment that he had to spread the gospel. Feelings probably like weariness. And according to what we have in Scripture, maybe even fear. And I'm not saying that Paul was, was, was like living under this, this, this umbrella of anxiety or fear. I'm not saying that Paul was dominated by this, but it's, it's obvious according to Scripture that there was, there was this element in Paul's life, and even here, that, that, that existed so much so that God had to come to him and say, Paul, don't be afraid of what's going to happen to you. You know, maybe because of what was happening in the cities before, maybe what happened to Berea and Thessalonica, maybe, maybe the reason that, that he had a little bit of apprehension here in Corinth is because he saw people getting saved and he saw some of the people that were in charge not liking what was going on. And so maybe Paul was like, you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to study God's Word and I'm just going to kind of be to myself, which I'll be honest with you, is a very safe and, and comfortable place to be for a minister. But it's important for us to grab context as best as we can and, and, and to get the best picture so that we can learn and grow from the examples that God's preserved for us in his word. And so I want to look in 1 Corinthians, right? This is the, the letter the, that he wrote to this these, these believers, this church here. And this is where we get a little bit of, of understanding of what Paul was maybe dealing with and how, how he was when he was with them. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with some lofty speech or wisdom. I mean, I, I didn't come in there with, with all this great oratory skill and, and, and throwing all these theological terms at you and, and, and impressing you with my speech or my knowledge. I didn't do that. I didn't come to you like that. He said, because I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I determined to come there and, and share the, the simple gospel of how important Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you. And I was with you, here it is, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And there it is, the absolute connotation to the fact that that's how he was in his position, in his relationship with God. But it's also a reality of, of the state that he was in. He said, my message, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. It wasn't, it, it wasn't just, you know, trying to, again, impress it, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. The only thing that was working in me at that time, the only thing that was working through me at that point in time was the spirit of God. And here's the reason why I believe that God did that and the reason why I did that, so that your faith not, might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. See, Paul could have come there and he could have, you know, he could have put on, in, in our day and time, he could have put on all the lights, he could have, you know, had all the, the great stories to tell, he could have been a, an entertainer from the stage in the synagogue, he could have done all those things, and they could have walked out of the, that synagogue, they could have walked away from hearing Paul speak, and they could have been like, man, that dude is an awesome speaker. And Paul said, I, I didn't want to do that. I didn't, I didn't want you to take that away. And I, I wasn't in a place to do 
that. So what I determined to do is just preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I could have done all this other stuff. I could have come with all this flash and all these, all these words and eloquence and all this kind of stuff, but I didn't do that. So that your faith would rest in God and not in me or anyone else. The truth is this. We all can have a tendency to depend on man. Even if the man, and especially if the man is us. Right? Because we can hear what God says, we can hear what the preacher says, that God says, we can hear what our, our friend or our brother or sister that's saying this and that about God, what God's Word says. But when it boils down to it, a lot of times we want to be able to wrap our own mind, our own psyche, our own emotions, our own self around our circumstances, around our feelings, around all those things, because we have a large, a large dependence on ourself, on man, or on another person, another man. Another truth is this. Sometimes we miss the moment and the trials and the places that God brings us to. And I, I wish I could say in my life I, I, I've never missed the moments and the trials. I, I'll say this. There have been a lot of trials that I've gone through in life and in ministry that I've said this. Well, I can't wait for this to be over, <laughs> you know. We can miss those moments. I can't wait for this season to be passed. And we can miss the moments. So what exactly do those moments feel like? Well, I think a lot of times those moments when we either are or we feel completely alone and isolated. Right? That's, that's, where, that's what we seemingly find with the Apostle Paul, right? He's there. He's waiting on, on Timothy and Silas to show up. He was just in the Word of God. He got frustrated with those Jews. So, you know what? From now on, I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. I'm done with you guys. I'm innocent, you know, of the blood that's on, uh, in your life. I mean, again, it, it seems like the Apostle Paul, and while he continued to preach, obviously people got saved, leader of the synagogue, uh, another leader of the synagogue. All these things were happening. It seems like Paul was, was facing something. Something was going on. Something was dealing so much that the, the Lord came to him and said, God, Paul, it's okay. It's okay. And I have to believe that based on the, the, the full counsel of God's word, what we have the picture of, this is a little bit what Paul was feeling like. And, and I want you to think about a couple of people with that in mind. Think about Abram. Think about Moses. Think about Elijah. We're talking about Paul. Think about Daniel. Think about David. And think about our Lord Jesus. Think about some of the greatest trials with those people's names. Moses, up on the mountain. Moses, by himself with God. Daniel, alone in the lion's den. David in a cave hiding. Elijah, by the river, alone, scared, afraid, hiding. Paul, we've seen already. Jesus, our Lord, in the garden. We have these examples of, of, of men and, again, specific times, specific places we're in this trial. We're facing a, a difficult thing. We're, we're feeling alone and isolated, separated, being tested. And Jesus wasn't Jesus' first time. If you remember the first time, right after he was baptized, he goes out into the wilderness and is alone with the enemy. And what was he doing for 40 days? Being tested, being tried, alone. 
And in those moments, every single one of these men and in those moments for us today that we go through, we have the same exact choice. We have the same exact opportunity either to depend on God and gain strength in the trial and through the trial and out of the trial or deal with it in our own strength. And I'll be honest with you, I think a lot of us Christians end up trying to deal with it with our own strength. I think that we have the intellectual knowledge uh, of what we're supposed to do in the trial, right? I think that we know in our minds what Scripture says. We hear what the preacher's preaching. We read what the devotion says. We, we intellectually gather in our mind, and it, it exists in our mind, what we should be doing through the trial. But the reality where the rubber meets the road, what we actually do in the trial, I think oftentimes is quite different. We try to handle it in our own strength. And what that looks like becomes ugly sometimes. The thoughts we have, the way that we treat other people, sometimes even in our own houses, sometimes even in this house. We have a choice in those trials to either listen to the voice of God, like Paul had an opportunity to, and, and rest and, and go in his strength, or deal with it in our own strength and make a real big mess of things. If you've been a Christian for a while and you've gone through the trials, you know exactly what that looks like. You know what it looks like going through your strength and then making a mess of things looks like. It affects, it affects your home. It affects relationships in the church. It affects your, 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 your thoughts and your, your everything. It affects everything. When you handle it in your own strength, you just make a big mess of things. And that's what we do. But we need to remember point number one this morning is so vital. That the fiery trials that we go through are intended to increase our humility and our dependence on Christ. See, Paul would eventually tell the Corinthians that he, he could boast. He would tell the Philippians, I could boast. I mean, there, there, were, there were times that he could say, man, I, I could really puff myself up. I got a lot of things to boast in. I got a lot of stuff to, to ride on. A lot, of, a lot of my own experience, a lot of my own wisdom, a lot of my own stuff. I could be puffed up my own self. But every time Paul was taken from one place to, to another, we, we see that he was kept humble, even and especially in one particular instance that we'll see in just a second. But we need to remember these fiery trials we go through are intended to increase our humility and dependence on Christ. If you're going through something right now, whether it's at your job, whether it's in ministry, whether it's at your home, whatever you're going through, personal, whatever you're going through, if you're going through a fiery trial right now, just know that God is allowing you to go through that trial. You are where you are right now so that it will increase your humility. And it will increase your faith, your trust, your dependence on Christ. Because again, we have a tendency to depend on ourselves or man. What does it sometimes look like? We sometimes depend completely on our job and our finances. And again, that's a reality we have in this world. We, we have jobs so that we can pay our bills, we can buy groceries, we can do those things. Yes, that's a reality. But man, we start to live our lives like that is what we depend on. Versus looking like we're just tenants, aliens, foreigners, just passing through. It looks sometimes more like we're trying to root ourselves in this world than just pass through it as lights and salt. It's an interesting reality. We all know that we can seek for comfort, which we do. We, we are creatures of comfort and creatures of habit. The truth is we don't want difficulty in our flesh. I don't really know anybody that loves the process of being out of shape and getting into shape. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you, it doesn't feel good. I mean, there, there are things about it that does. I mean, you start feeling better, 
you know, all those kind of things. Your clothes start fitting better, all that kind of stuff. But the, the process is not fun. <laughs> I mean, to, to, to make your body do something it's not used to doing. Same thing in, 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 in the, uh, the eating department, right? In our diet, that, that can be a very difficult thing. When, whenever I'm like used to eating sweets and, and not really watching what I'm eating and, and all that kind of stuff, to go from that to being more disciplined to what you're watching what you're eating and, and all that kind of stuff can be difficult. Why? Because it's just easier in the flesh. It's, it's easier to do the things that aren't necessarily good for you. So when it comes typically to trials and difficulty in our spiritual life or in just our life period, we often seek for the fastest way out. Again, I'm, I've been guilty of that in my life. Man, when is this going to be over? <laughs> we need to remember this is where the strength is made. This is where our faith is, is built, is in the fiery trials. This is where Christ can truly be exalted. John MacArthur said this, the weaker the human instrument, the more clearly God's grace shines forth. Right? I mean, the more weaker the human instrument. I mean, how, how much weaker and how much lower can you get than what our Lord did? I mean, he was stripped. He was beaten. He was battered. He was, he was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was spit on. He was slapped. He, he, all these things. I mean, he was treated like the, the, the lower than the dirt underneath the dog's paws at that point in time. He was treated the worst of the, he was brought so low. And then they put him on a cross, a criminal's death. And man, the glory of God and the grace of God shone through that brighter than any other moment in human history. Again, we see this verse come up in 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though some strange, things were, some strange thing was happening to you. Well, why is this happening to me? This is, nobody else is dealing with this. No, no, don't think it's strange like that. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And he's specifically talking about Christian persecution. And he says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. So don't, 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 don't be upset and don't, don't live a life so that you suffer as an evildoer, like a meddler or, or anything, or a thief. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for, uh, for, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Again, that's the, that's the, the, the charge that we have, even if we suffer for the name of Christ. We also know that, that trials uh, not only come in the form of persecution, but come in the form of circumstances sometimes, all built for our faith. James chapter 1, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Patience has its full effect. Let you may be perfect and, compl and, and complete, lacking nothing. So again, this process of being tried builds in us something that nothing else can build. A faith that's resolute. A faith that's complete. A mature faith. A person that looks more like Christ than they did before the trial. It says, and in the midst of this, if you lack wisdom, then ask God. God, I'm going through this right now. God, I'm struggling with this right now. God, uh, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what's happening to me. God, I need your wisdom. Please, I need your wisdom. 
not my wisdom, not my boss's wisdom, not the government's wisdom. I need your wisdom. He says this, who gives generously to everyone without reproach? If you, if you like it, ask it, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts like the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person who asks that, that, that has some doubt in their mind, that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. And look what he says here. Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation and the rich in his humiliation, because like, the, like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and, with, and the grass, grass withers, um, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man, blessed is the man. How happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he received the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, well, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt with evil. I'm sorry, God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one with evil. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And when the desire is fully conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Brothers, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we, we must understand that trials increase, or they are to increase. Our faith and dependence on Christ, our humiliation. But that can be the problem sometimes. We also forget we're supposed to be living in a humble state, right? The world tells us that we aren't supposed to be humble. And to be connected with those who are in that same place. Romans chapter 12, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, the humble in mind. Do not be wise in your own estimation. James chapter 4, he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So while we understand that fiery trials are intended to increase our dependence on Christ, that we can forget our selfishness and our self-centeredness. But they're also intended to keep us humble. Man, we like feeling like we're in control, don't we? That, that's, that's something that um, some people say, well, they're a control freak. They, they have to control everything. But the truth is, most of us like the feeling of being in control, having it all together. We got it all together. I'm in control. I've got it all set. I got it figured out. And while I'm, I'm, not, I'm not promoting um, irresponsibility or um, not taking care of and not being prudent, not being um, taking care of what God has entrusted us, not being good stewards, sometimes the answer is, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, how are we going to do this? Or how are we going to do that? How is this going to work out? What if, what if this happens? What if they do this? What if this doesn't happen? What? Sometimes it's, I, I don't know. I'm going to trust the Lord. 
that's just it? You're going to trust the Lord? Yes. We like feeling like we're in control, but the picture we get in Scripture is the, one who God, the ones who God truly uses and blesses are those who are in that constant state of, of, of feebleness and dependence on God, finding their strength in Him alone. So, man, I wish we would, I wish we, our family would stop dealing with this type of struggle, man. We always are dealing with financial struggles. We're always dealing with relational struggles. We're always dealing with our health issues. We're always dealing with this kind of stuff. And if we could just ever get to this place and we could just get established like this and, and, and be here, then we'll be fine. Look, maybe God is allowing these things to keep you in a completely dependent state on Him. Because He knows that if you get to that place, where this is no longer a thing, then you'll stop depending on him. You'll stop being a vessel that he can use. I'll look at verse 10 again in our text because it gives us a second point and we'll, we'll, we'll close this up. Jesus told Paul, verse, I'm sorry, verse, 10, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer. Again, obviously there was some, some feelings of fear that had crept into the apostle's heart. He said, but go on speaking, do not be silent. Again, this is, this is something that also speaks to his, maybe his, his frustration, both fear and frustration mixed together, of not wanting to preach or teach to the Jews anymore because of how they had rejected the gospel there in Corinth. Either way, it was some, some emotional struggles that he was going through. He says, here's the comforting verse, verse 10, because I am with you. I am with you. What an amazing promise. I'm with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Point number two is this. Fear and feebleness should never negate our obedience to Christ because he is always with us. So just because you're afraid, just because you're feeling anxious, just because you, you feel weak and you feel like you, you, you're, you're, uh, you're having a difficult time, maybe even the context of the congregation, the church that God has placed you in. Look, just because we have these feelings, none of it negates our obedience to Christ. Nothing changes that. Why? Because he is ever-present. And he is always with us. We should always remember that. The reality is that when we feel things like fear and feebleness, I just, I'm not really feeling it right now in ministry. I'm, I'm feeling really weak in ministry. I'm feeling, I'm having a hard time showing up for church, and I'm having a really hard time serving in this ministry. The Apostle Paul was doing that. And as we've already seen in this study, when we feel things like that, we've we got to remember we can't allow our emotions to be the driver of our lives. Oh man, can you imagine how many people, you, can you imagine how many pastors would quit every time they felt something negative? They would be quitting every day. I, I've talked to some pastors before, they say, you know, how many, how many of you I praise God for this, too. I want to share something with you. I've not felt this before. Um, there have been a lot of heavy things that we've dealt with, but I've I, I'm, I'm been honest with you. I've not felt this before. I've been frustrated, down, discouraged, hurt, all those kind of things that a, a normal you know, pastor feels. But um, I was at a conference or a meeting recently, and they were saying, hey, you, know, you know how you, 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 know, you have Sunday, and, and you have those some Sundays that you come in on Monday, and you, you write out your resignation letter, and you're ready to quit that Monday. And, I'm, and, I, and I, was, I was like, I've never felt that before. Praise God for that. 
I, I, I don't know if this is not, not in me. I, this is not the way God's wired me. I don't, I don't know. But if we allow our emotions to, they will drive our lives. They will control us. They control how we, we look at each other, how we treat each other, how we interact with each other, how we fellowship or don't fellowship, how we serve with each other, how we share the gospel with each other. Our emotions will drive our lives if we allow them to. And that can look amazing on the good side, right? But you're happy, you're excited. Man, everything's going amazing. You love everybody. You want to come in and give everybody a holy kiss, you know? That's the way it is. I mean, you, you lo- I love our church. You know, you plaster on Facebook or whatever you, you, you use. You're just in love. And then something comes along and changes your emotions. And what do you feel? Well, maybe we just need to pray about going somewhere else. <laughs> what? What in the world is that? Again, we have emotions. We feel them. But they aren't to drive us. We're going to do that, both both experience good and bad emotions. But they can't be the foundation of our attitude. Our emotions can't be the foundation of our actions. Our emotions can't be the foundation of our speech. We must, like Jesus, even Paul, bring our fleshly body into subjection, into submission. Paul said that I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. We need to recognize what is healthy and what is not. And we need to live by faith, not fear, not by any other emotion either, but by fear alone, I mean by faith alone. Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which that's Hebrews chapter 11, we've done this before. I encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 11 because it talks about all the various trials and all the different things that the people of God throughout the the, the history of the people of God have gone through. Names of, in, in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. He says this, so in, in light of the fact that we're surrounded by so great a cloud of faithful witnesses, then let us lay aside every weight, whether it's a, a, an emotional weight or whether it's a mental weight or whatever, anything that's weighing us down, let us all lay aside every weight and sin, if, if it's sin that's holding us back, that clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. With Jesus in our sight. We're looking at Jesus, he says. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross. And not only endured the cross, but the despising shame that came along with what we talked about a while ago. Being spat on and mocked and, and beaten and stripped and thrown up on a cross. The God of all creation, enclosed in human flesh, embarrassed and shamed in front of the whole world, and then lifted up on a cross so that everybody could see that shame. He's, the joy that was set before him, he went through the, the cross, he went through the despising shame, and now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, think about him, Christian, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What are we talking about? Fear and feebleness. Man, I'm just feeling like, I, I don't know. no think about Jesus. How do you do it? How do you get through it? How do you keep going? How do you not want to quit on Monday morning? How do you, how do, you do that? Look, you got to keep renewing your mind in Scripture, and you got to keep focusing your, your, your spiritual vision on Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you how many times that I, that has, that's been what has encouraged me in, in, in the faith. Man, thinking about Jesus, what he went through, 
who he knew was on his side and who was not on his side, and how much grace and mercy he still extended, and how faithful he still was to the, to the cross. He said, think about him so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Amen. Praise God. I mean, nobody's tied me to a stake. Nobody's put me on a cross. Nobody's tried to burn me alive. Nobody's thrown me in a pot of boiling oil. Now, I've not done those things in, in, in trying to follow Christ. And then chapter 13, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as, those in, as though in prison with them, and those who are menis, uh, mistreated since you are, you are uh, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexu sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Citing Psalm 118, verse 6, and Psalm 27, verse 1. It's so vital that we remember that fear and feebleness. Man, they're going to come. We're going to feel those feelings. We can't live off of that. I'm done with this. Deuteronomy 31. So Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall, go, uh, you shall not go over to this Jordan. The Lord, uh, the Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispose of them. And Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them as he did to Shio and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. And listen to these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God that goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to them in the sight of all Israel, Be courageous and strong. Be strong and courageous, for, your, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. There's going to be times when in the mission we grow weary. There will be times that because our flesh is weary and weak that we can have a tendency to lean our, on our emotions and lean on, on what we think and what we feel and not on the Lord. Anxiety and fear, feebleness can all lead to this state of spiritual weakness. But I want to encourage you this morning. Remember in those times that I'm here for a reason. I'm in this trial, this fire trial for a reason. God is working in you and he's building in you and wanting to use that time to grow you and even use you in a way that he can't when you're on the mountaintop. He's wanting to form in you a vessel that's ready for use. So remember, just like Paul, you may feel alone and you may fear but it doesn't mean that you are alone and that you need to fear. He's always with you. He's always going to be with you. God knows how to deliver us.
because he's always with us. He's gone before us. Be encouraged. Your trial may provoke these feelings in you. Don't rest in them, though. Rest in the one who is always there. I've said it before. We're going to be singing a song soon on our night of worship. It has the same message in it. If you're still breathing, it's proof that God's not done with you. So, man, I'm just ready for the trial to be over. No, God's, God's doing something. Let him do it in you. Just rest in him. Trust in him. Stay the course. Be faithful. Be obedient. And trust in him. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for what you do in our lives again. Thank you for this reminder this morning. We see the Apostle Paul, a, a man of, of great faith, a man, a great instrument that you used uh, and are still using, which is an amazing thing. 2,000 years later, a man who simply submitted his all to you and you used him in an amazing way that's still being uh, used in the church today. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the example. We thank you for the lessons. And, and even in these, these times, Lord, we see that he was just a man. Um, he was subject to feelings and emotions. And he, he had a choice, just like we have a choice, to either let those emotions control him, dom dominate him, or allow his faith to drive him. And Lord, I pray that we would choose the latter. I pray that we would choose faith to depend on you and not go on our emotions. Lord, I pray that you would just move now in this invitation. Help us respond rightly and just be exalted now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand as this sings, I want to encourage you to come.